Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the MotoGP Extra podcast. Joining myself as always is Reese, also known as Biker Gaming. Now, round 9 of the MotoGP calendar comes from Barcelona and Reese. It was a hot, sticky day. It was pretty much three days of hot, sticky action in Barcelona. What did you make of Moto3? We're actually going to jump to the race direction later in the podcast. Usually we start off with a bit of arguing about the race direction, but we have a little little corner towards the end of it. We have a few riders actually getting in on it as well. So we're going to start off with the Moto3. What did you make of the race in the scintillating heat in Barcelona? Well, it was a, it was a pretty interesting race, a good Moto3 race as usual. I was thinking after the first two races of the day, Moto3 and Moto2, that we wouldn't have to discuss race direction. Obviously, we are going to have to do that later, so that is a bit of a shame. But we'll stick with Moto3 for now. And really, it did look like all weekend, Dennis Fodger was back on the pace. He looked like he was going to be able to try and win. Obviously, he made a big mistake in Mugello, crashing on a tear-off. Yeah, apparently. I don't think that's really the case. I think it was a bit of whiskey throttle, but... uh, you know, we'll we'll give him the benefit of that. We'll say it's a tear-off. And then this time, he was running pretty quick. Obviously, it was a big leading group. He wasn't at... The, well, he was he was at the front of it. He wasn't actually leading at the at the time, but he had been throughout the race. Obviously, there were lots of slipstreaming at Barcelona, if you remember back to last year, how big of an issue slipstreaming was. They were all backing off. Fortunately, we didn't see that this year. But Fodger, he was running pretty well. He was looking pretty good. He was probably just sitting back, maybe looking after his tire a little bit, because like you said, it was an extremely hot weekend. There was no grip all weekend as well. Everyone was struggling for grip. One of those weird circumstances where it's really, it's that hot. There's just no grip. The tires spin, so they just they just wear out so much, even when you're not necessarily pushing so much. They just spin so much because of how hot it was. So Fodger sat there. He just probably just looked after his tire a little bit, and unfortunately his chain broke. Uh, not something that you see too often with the Moto3 bike, especially with the Leopard team, a very reliable team. And uh, the chain broke. I think it was theorised that it was potentially caused by him going on the kerb at turn 7, earlier on in the lap, and then his chain sort of broke on the run into turn 10, which is obviously a couple of corners later. So that was something that was pointed out. I think it was Alex Lowe's pointed that out, that that potentially could have been uh, what broke the chain there, but just so unfortunate for Dennis Fodger, just such a shame. And... That, that could really be his title campaign completely over now. That's two no scores in a row with his rivals Guevara and Garcia right at the front once again. Yeah, I, th- I think that might be uh, curtains for Fodger. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Um, I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on poor Dennis saying that it was like, oh, it's nailed on. Fodger has his title or else he might not show up. He has done. Everyone was like, oh, he's, like, it was the most nailed on thing that he was going to win. And he's never been a great kind of scrapper or battler. He's always been brilliant getting to the front and kind of just managing races that way. He's has good pace on his own. But Moto3, like, you're you're rarely out front unless something has happened behind you that has caused a bit of a gap. So, again, though, Mugello, a tear-off. I don't believe it for a second. Um, we speculated on the last podcast that maybe it was a, a bit of a damp patch. It had been raining throughout the weekend in Mugello he's convinced it was a tear off I'm not convinced to be brutally honest um, it's, it's just it's just too many variables to say it was a tear off but I think it's just a mistake oh, at this point to be honest. yeah I think so yeah I think I think so too and um, it was it was just a weird one I, I, I don't like when they blame tear offs like it's a bit of a weird one but anyway we'll move on to that to this weekend had again though all weekend he has such great pace because he can ride on his own during the practice he gets to the race and he just looks like he looks like a top 10 rider he doesn't look like the same guy come race day when other bikes are in battling with him something he really needs to improve on because if it was like a super pole championship he'd be world champion by a mile he's brilliant at doing laps on his own but as races go he usually doesn't get given space he's dive bombed he's slipstreamed he's ruffled and he's a bit like maverick in that case he just he can't seem to do it and it might have cost him his Moto three pretty much nail on championship that everyone had said but uh, it was quite unfortunate to see his chain go because he he was still in for a good probably podium maybe at that point there was still pretty much a huge gaggle of riders in the top 20 25 i think we're still battling for points so he could have done well, but I pretty much am nailed on that his championship was gone just because of the fact two no scores, the Garcia and Guevara are rapid. There are some young kids coming through that have just taken no prisoners, so he's not going to get any respect. 
as well as he doesn't seem to be able to win in a battle. But moving on from Porfaji to someone who's on cloud nine after Magello, Guevara well strategized win. What did you make of his performance in Magello after lo- or after losing his race win in Magello? What did you make of his performance in Catalonia? Well, it was fantastic. It was really, really good. And Guevara, he's been very impressive since he started in Moto3. If we take Pedro Acosta out of the equation, we'd be all raving about how good Guevara's rookie season was. He was there or thereabouts, you know, he was always there. I mean, even from his first race, really, he was fighting in the pack. Obviously, he won that weird race at Austin. And then, of course, like you say, he... he in my book, I mean, obviously, of course, he, he, he did go on the green in Mugello, but he won the race still. He knows that. It, you know, obviously, he did probably gain a little bit by going on the green. But equally, Garcia weaved at him going towards the line. So, you know, two, two wrongs there. So, Guevara, really, in his head, he knows he had the pace to win at Mugello. And here, it was amazing. He was just sort of in the pack, like, as he always was, battling. But then at one point, he just got into the lead, just turned up another gear, and just bolted. And no one could get near him. He just started doing... He looked like Fodger. Fodger did all weekend, really. I mean, Guevara and Fodger were the two all weekend that could do the laps on their own and pull away. But Guevara in the race, once he got to the front and he just decided to check out, he was gone. No one could keep up with him, not even Garcia. And really... Those two have been the two that have been able to do that. We've seen a few times this season where maybe at the start of the races, the KTMs have pulled a little bit and it's always Guevara and Garcia at the forefront of that, maybe on shoe as well. And they're always able to go with whoever's quickest, but Guevara just, he just rode away from him. It was fantastic. It was a bit Martin-esque almost, where he could just sometimes pull out those gaps in Motor 3 and just a dominant victory. And Guevara really helping himself out in the championship. He, he, could, he could win this year. He really could. I am I am pretty 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 much a big fan of Guerrero. I really like him. So I, I appreciate Sergio Garcia's skill and his aggressiveness, but I think he oversteps the mark along with Anchu. So the two of them do things that I'm not too happy with a lot of time. I would like to see Guevara take this title. I do believe it's quick enough. I believe both of the Astro bikes are probably probably your one and two men now in the championship. You can maybe throw Messi in there and Fadja. Messia had actually a decent weekend overall, bad qualifying, worked his way through a few crashes and got a decent result. But I still don't believe he has that week-in, week-out pace of the two in the Aspar team. But we're going to move on now. A shout-out to a very, very impressive rookie, David Munro, in his second race. Neil Hodgson nearly screamed his lungs off for the whole race talking about him. He was impressive. Crazy moves, nothing over the limit, just really aggressive, fair riding. And what did you make of the rookie? What do you think he can do for the remainder of this season? Well, it was it was almost Pedro Acosta-esque, really. Battling right for the win in your second race. Absolutely fantastic. We've heard stuff about him. We've been hearing stuff about him in the past, to be honest. I remember when he got announced as um, the rider for BOE. I'd heard of him previously before that. And usually that's a really good sign. If you hear of these kids when they're in the junior championships, there's something special about them. You know, that's you hear about Quattararo, you know, that, that those are the kind of riders you hear about. Look what he's doing now. Those are the riders you hear about when they're like 13, 14 years old. So Munoz, well, he was mighty, mighty impressive. Magello, his first weekend, so first weekend of Grand Prix, I think he did pretty well, to be honest. He was a bit under the radar, but he was there or thereabouts. But today... Unbelievable. He didn't qualify very well. I think he was about 20th on the grid. But to finish second place and to have led the race for a couple of times as well, that was... It was just fantastic. Like you say, he was pulling aggressive passes, but nothing over the limit. You know, he didn't have contact with anybody. He didn't hit anybody out the way. He didn't move in the braking zones. He didn't weave. He was just pulling passes that were a bit aggressive late on the brakes. But absolutely more than fair. And to be honest, I really want to see more of this kid. I am looking forward to see the rest of his season... I'm not sure exactly, you know, whether he'll be competitive week in, week out, because, of course, it's Catalonia, a track where, you know, they go there in Junior GP, they go there in the Spanish Championship. You know, it's a track he will know very, very well. So it'll be interesting to see how it kind of goes into the the following races, see how competitive he is. Also, a bit of an asterisk next to the team itself, which is no disrespect to the team, but just in the past, they've kind of been there some races, not been there others. And, I mean, where was his teammate today? She was very far down the order but that, that's probably that's probably a topic for a different time but yeah uh, Munoz just massively impressed with him yeah he is a definitely a star for the future and unfortunately looks like Anna Krasko again just doesn't seem to get on well with the Moto3 bikes whatever it seems to be the difference between a World Super Sport 300 to a GP Moto3 bike she ended up getting a long lap penalty as well today so 
again where her joined the paddock it was kind of a last minute deal it was like I kind of need a ride I'll have to take something um, she's better when she's better than what she's showing yeah, somebody else's deal think of Salvador think his deal yeah. fell through with that team think sponsorship so she picked that up and yeah I mean I was kind of expecting her to be a bit better because of how good she was in Super Sport 300 but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a shame to see her struggling so much She's a world champion in her own right, but we're going to move on now to someone else who's struggling. It's not just one man, it's a whole manufacturer and it is Honda. They are still nowhere. And one thing I noticed about Honda in Catalonia especially was they always rave about the top end speed of the Leopards. And in fairness, they're fairly good. But the thing is, Honda seem to get great corner speed, but they seem to get massively shunted when they have a KTM in front. I was watching Foggia come out of the final corner in P4, and he went nowhere. He just he doesn't seem to, unless he has clear track in front of him, he can't use that top speed. Even with slipstream, he seemed to just get bogged down. So it looks like they have a bit of a, a weird scenario, kind of maybe like the mid-range power just isn't there. Because they seem to, when they get a good run onto the straights, they seem to be the quickest by the end of it, but... Overall, Hondas are quite badly off the pace compared to the KTM's. Reese, what do you think has gone wrong with the Japanese manufacturer? Well, it's actually an interesting point you uh, bring up there because I hadn't noticed that in the race. But they, now that I think about it, yeah, definitely. He couldn't make the... When he wasn't in clean air or when either of them weren't in clean air because, to be fair, Suzuki was there this weekend. That is probably worth noting. He's, he seems to have stepped his game up a little bit last couple of races. But even still, yeah, when those two, when those two Leopard bikes were in the lead they were rapid. I mean, Guevara several times would get in the slipstream of uh, either Suzuki or Foggia, go to pull out and make a move, and then just drop back. He, he, like, and it wasn't like he was rolling out of it. He was still going, you know, he was keeping it pinned. Just those bikes so fast. But yeah, it's interesting to, that you note that when they're actually behind a KTM, they don't have it. So yeah, maybe it's when they can't take their line. Maybe it's a bit of a, a bit similar to the Yamaha and GP. Or maybe it's maybe their speed is to do with the actual intake of air in the first place. Perhaps they have a different air intake that they've like designed or something. And perhaps once it has dirty air or like hot air from the bike in front, like sort of disturbed air, perhaps it doesn't work so well. So that is, yeah, that is interesting. But Honda as a manufacturer as a whole, that they are nowhere. I mean, the Leopards are the only guys really anywhere. Uh, I think Ricardo Rossi was the next one after that. But I'm not 100% sure. I mean, it, they just weren't in the top group at all. No Hondas anywhere. Worth noting, Andrea Migno, he was down in about 20th or something like that. Ended up getting a long lap. Ended up retiring. I don't know whether he had a problem or whether it's just he's so far off it wasn't worth his time. You know, He took a long lap, went over the line, was given another one and pulled into the pits. Yeah, yeah, he... Uh, yeah. Summed up his race. Yeah, pretty much. So Honda, they are in trouble. We've said it quite a few episodes now. I think we first brought it up around Portimao time because it's the first time it's really obvious. But yeah, the KTM is the bike you want to be on in Moto3 now. I, I can say that 100%. Or a Leopard Honda, but I'd still want to be on any KTM other than that, to be honest, because, well, look at the championship. Kind of uh, says it yourself. So yeah, Honda, they are in a bit of a mess in both Moto3 and MotoGP. So they'll definitely have to bring something to the table for next year. Otherwise, no one is going to want that bike. Yeah, very good points as always. Now we're going to move on to the Moto2 race. And the Moto2 race this weekend was... Pretty good, I must yeah, say. For I once. really, <laughs> I for once I didn't sleep through it and wake up and get filled in by the commentators. I actually was wide awake, enjoyed every lap of it. It was probably down to the fact it was such a low grip. Everyone was kind of fighting a losing battle against the tire grip and the degradation. They all seemed to have a very similar pace. A few riders stood out in particular, but we'll get to them in a minute. We're going to have to start off with Joe Roberts. Great pace out of the box looked seconds quicker than everyone else i was watching him thinking usually when you go that much quicker than someone else and everyone else is managing their pace it's it's 90 percent of the time the rider who's pushing is the one at risk and not the other 27 28 riders on the grid that are kind of minding their tires and holding their pace and unfortunately he did end up tipping off into turn five very easily done but surely at this point now he's not a, a rookie he's been there long enough surely it will click that I'm pulling away three tenths a lap here. Everyone else is going slow. All I need to do now is drop my pace, match them, and bring this around and just kind of keep it, manage the gap. But no, he kept pushing and unfortunately tipped off. What have you made of Joe Roberts over the last, we'll say, two months since he got his victory in Portimao? 
It definitely seems like something has clicked for him, doesn't it? Because, I mean, if we think back to when he was in American Racing, what, 2020 was the last season he had there? He had some standout performances. I mean, remember his pole at Qatar? He was so fast at that circuit. He had that a couple other times as well throughout that season where he was looking good. He looked like he could get a podium. He looked like he could win the race. And you'd think moving to Italtrans, which should really... Well, I'd say it should be an upgrade because, of course, that was a title-winning team that year. But American Racing itself is a pretty decent team, to be fair. I mean, especially now it's got a bit more money behind it and they've got Calyxes. It is a, it's a decent team. So I was expecting maybe a bit of a step up, but he's really struggled. He's really struggled. I think there's been a bit of a culture clash maybe there. You know, obviously him being American, the, the team being Italian, obviously very different cultures, really. Completely opposite sides of the world, really. Obviously Europe and North America so far away from each other. But it seems like... The last couple of races, he's really, really stepped it up. Portimao, of course, he won the race, and that will be the thing he remembers. And to be honest, that probably did fill him with a bit of confidence, because obviously it showed him he could do it, but that's like a... It was like a 10th place finish, really, wasn't it, at the end of the day? Because, yeah. you know, all the all the fast guys crashed off, obviously, even on the restart, uh, him and Dixon were going away, and Dixon fell off, so, you know... I mean, obviously, he had to stay on, Joe Robson to stay on in the tricky conditions, so fair play to him, and he fully deserves that race win, but... That's not what convinces me. It's rides like why he had in Mugello, where he finished second, and rides where, all right, he fell off today, but he did show good pace before doing so, which he hasn't shown since he was on American Racing. So I think he's made a step. That doesn't really answer your question, I know that. <laughs> if we talk about actually what he was doing in this race, yeah, he had great pace, but uh, he was clearly pushing over the limit. I think uh, Jake Dixon said it, I think, after the race that, he saw him pulling away and he thought, you know, you're doing a good... If you finish this race, you've done an amazing job. And I think everybody kind of knew it was a matter of time that either Jorobos fell off or was caught by the pack because he'd wore his tyre out. It was going to be one of the two. And sadly for uh, Joe, it was the one where he ended up in the gravel and the early bath, uh, you know, out of the race. So just just a shame. But it, it's promising. He could take positives from it. And I hope he does. hope he doesn't beat himself up too much because, of course, he was trying to win a race. Uh, he was actually bringing himself into championship contention before that, which is uh, something you didn't realise. You don't realise how consistent he was. So, uh, yeah, Joe Roberts, I think he could take some, uh, definitely take some solace from this race. But, yeah, just a bit of a mistake there. Easy done into turn five. And it went pretty late as well. But, yeah, just pushing too hard and fell off on a greasy track. And it is a good point to mention as well. After Heret, there was a Heret test for pretty much everyone. And... A lot of riders you've seen now from Jerez who went to Le Mans. Some riders have made a big step, including Joe. A lot of people found and figured out things at the Jerez test. So was it not a Catalonia sure. test? There was one in Jerez, though. I directly oh, was there one race. in Jerez as well? Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. And, uh, like, for example, Digi found good pace. Uh, obviously, he's a GP rider, but there's, throughout the, uh, the two classes, there is a series kind of, a few riders that you go... Well, he was kind of nowhere in Heret and then Le Mans, he was somewhere in Imagello and then now again. So maybe whatever they've managed to work out, again, it's very well noted that you only have kind of an hour and a half of track time before qualifying for most weekends and you're into the kind of, you have to put a lap in and then you're into warm up and you're into the race. There's not much time if you're struggling for setup or for a feel of the bike. So a day's riding on a, a nice track usually does help out a lot of riders. But moving forward now, to one of my favourite parts of the Moto2 class is Vietti. Vietti is the real deal. It's taken me nine rounds to say it, but I'm happily now I'm going to touch wood. Just quick tap of my table. Just because I've been saying it since round one that he was my dark horse for the season. And throughout the race wins, the podiums, everything, I was like, well, we'll see when we get to Europe. Then we got to Heret, Portimao. He got a bit lucky here and there. And we're still kind of going, well, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But I'm actually quite confident in saying he is probably one of two riders that I reckon would win the championship. The other one is someone who struggled this weekend, Ayagora. We'll come to him later. Mugello possibly could have won that. Definitely, in my opinion, on the podium, mechanical. Now, again, you could again we could argue he's probably done 340,000 laps with Rossi and the boys around there probably has a minor advantage you could say but her, Catalonia is that's fair game for everyone so for him to be that quick in a tough tricky track like that he's shown true metal there and I'm quite happily would be fond of him as my title favourite going into it what did you make of Cesare Vietti's race in Mamelo? 
Yeah, I think similarly similarly to what you said, it's kind of confirmed it to me that he's definitely actually in this it's hunt. It's not Baldassare syndrome, thankfully. It's uh, <laughs> it really is he's taken it on because of course we we've been able to say that like the whole season it's we've had we've had reasons why he's been getting good performances. Obviously the the first few races they are usually weird. I mean, we can actually see some of the riders that were there that in those races have now dropped off a bit. Like Chancho is probably a really good example of that. But uh, Vietti, he was there getting into Europe, obviously struggled in Portimao, got lucky because of the crashes. Uh, Jerez, he was kind of, well, he was about sixth place, which is a bit harsh, really, for us to say it was nowhere. But compared to how he had been, I suppose you get used to that expectation. Uh, in Le Mans, what happened in Le Mans? Oh, uh, Le Mans, actually, he struggled, didn't he? And then he made the mistake, ran in the gravel, and actually had a very good comeback ride. That was a, a good race for him there. Mugello, like you say, the mechanical. So, yeah, it was one of the, it's been one of those things where there's always been something that's happened to stop us saying, oh, he looks really quick. But today, he kept a cool head. He obviously put it on pole after coming through Q1, which, you know, in itself was a bit of a shock to me. Uh, I wasn't properly watching qualifying. I had it on sort of in the background. I was talking to people and stuff. And I looked at the end of the session and I went, He's on pole because like, he'd gone through Q1. I didn't think he had the pace. So it was actually quite surprising to see that. He didn't get the best start. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Don't get me wrong. But he dropped back a bit. Kept a cool head. A few fell off in front, obviously, like Roberts, for example. But he just fought his way through. And he fought that victory to the last lap with Aaron Cannon. It was a really nice battle. And he, he had a clear advantage. It was it was uh, fantastic to see. I remember to turn one, particularly one, one occasion. He gained about th maybe three bike lengths on Jake Dixon into that first corner. It wasn't like Dixon broke early. He broke the same point that Canet in front of him did. So it's one of those things where he, he gained so much there. And into turn 10, he made, I think he made, well, he made three passes in the end, and he? he passed Dixon there once and he passed Canet there twice. But the, the, the first two times where he passed Canet and Dixon, he just he, he just pulled to the inside. It was a mirror signal manoeuvre. It was a fantastic pass. So Vietti, yeah, he had a battle with Agora in that race as well. He, you know, he gave him a bit of elbow. Agora gave him a bit back. They got... You know, so he's shown that he can race, he can keep his his head cool, he can put it on pole, he can lead from the front. So yeah, I don't think it would be fair to say that he's not the real deal at this point, because he's shown that he can do everything in different conditions, in tricky conditions on the track. So yeah, Vietti, yeah, gotta say, he, him and Agora, like you say, I think are looking favourites. Canit still definitely in there as well, if you ask me, even though he's made a few mistakes, he's, he's still got the pace because he's there every weekend. Yeah, and it was a good point as well that Vietti didn't get a good start. He actually had to fight back from it. A bit like Mugello, kind of came through late. He seems maybe to be pretty good on tyres. Again, two pretty hard races for him, and he's managed to get to the front. So right now, with the current rider form, I'm going to tip him as my title favourite. Of course, when we get into the last quarter of the season, when we go to Asia, I'm sure Oyagora will be right there and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because as you say Canet is looking good and we'll get to him in a second he did have a good race I just have my I think he just doesn't have that raw pace and maybe that race craft and maybe next year he could be a real championship trip but maybe this year I think he's just especially he got injured there's just a few things kind of holding him back I reckon that'll stop him but we're going to move on to Canet now good race solid performance could have gotten his first win if it wasn't for a small mistake on the final lap. But again, good signs from someone that's come back from a horrific injury. What did you make of the little Spaniard's performance? It was a good race from him. Like you say, once again, not many able to win the race. It's, you know, always a rise made, never the bride. Sadly for Canet, he, he must be getting frustrated the amount of second place he's had at this point. But that's what wins championships at the end of the day. But of course, he's already he has also crashed out of a few races, so... You know, you can't really use that argument too much. He did what he needed to do this weekend. Had a good result. Uh, still showed good pace as well, because, of course, he'd fallen off in the previous race. Uh, so he's put that behind him now by putting his points on the board. Like you say, he had the injury, which was really nasty with his uh, wrist. I'm still so, so impressed by his Hareth ride. I'm, you know, the Motor Subaru ride of the season, to be honest, with how he managed to pull that one off. But, yeah, he's looking like he's got the pace. He, he did make a small mistake. He went very defensive into turn 10. And I feel like that's actually what cost him. Because he didn't need to go right up by like the white line. Because Vietti was never going to go like that early anyway. It was always going to be a bit of a late move from Vietti. And I think, to be honest, that kind of ruined him a little bit by then affecting his entry to the corner. So allowing him to go for that later move in the corner. So, yeah, it was one of those things. A little bit of a mistake there. But honestly, pretty faultless race. I guess in a similar manner to 
to Vietti. He did have a bit of a battle. He had a, he had a bit of a battle with Jake Dixon, didn't he, a couple of times. Uh, he actually got um, hit by Jake Dixon at turn 10 on one occasion as well. So I suppose he was lucky to stay aboard from that, although it was only a minor touch, really. It was just sort of a front wheel up the inside. So, yeah, good wrestling, can it? And uh, put some more points on the board, but he has lost more points to Vietti, so that is quite crucial that he, uh, he can't really keep affording that because, of course, he's DNF'd a few times now. Yeah, and you did mention Dixon there. Dixon had a good race. Again, two races in a row now. He hasn't crashed. Again, I'm going to touch wood. I'm going to touch twice for Dixon because that poor boy gets as much bad luck <laughs> as anyone. Maybe it's bad uh, to <laughs> Oh, Jesus. I can't. There's not enough wood in my house to touch that poor boy. Uh, but Dixon, great performance. Very unlucky to miss out on the podium. What did you make of his ride? And a bit of a weird warning he got me through the race. Yeah, I think it was a good ride. He did exactly what he needed to do. Uh, obviously, he's he's shown the pace all season. We we know he's got the pace, and that's his, you know a second race where I say he's really shown the pace. Probably even more impressive than his Austin race because he didn't have so many people fall off in front of him. Whereas in Austin, there was a bit attritional, wasn't it? Quite, quite a lot of people fell off the race where he actually got the podium. So yeah, I think it was a good race. He was in the podium. He looked comfortable. He didn't really look like you know he was going to make much of a mistake. I think he made a minor mistake. On the final lap, it allowed Augusto Fernandez through. Augusto had looked the previous lap. He knew where he was going to attack. I think the only things I could really point out was turn one. A couple of occasions, he went in a bit deep, sucked in by the riders in front, when really he could have been in a good position to pick up the pieces between the uh, the vietti canic battle if he'd got the braking right, because they were slowing each other down a little bit through the first corner, making passes. He could have probably had a run on one of them, but yeah, it was a good ride from Dixon. Managed to keep it upright. So yeah, that's two good races in a row for him. Going into Saxon Ring now, I'm not exactly sure about how good he is there. I seem to remember he was a little bit more competitive at Saxon Ring last year than he had been at some of the other races. So hopefully he can try and uh, take that momentum forward. But uh, yeah, good ride for Dixon. Yeah, very, very good points. Again, but we're going to move on now to MotoGP and we have so much to discuss. So much to discuss that it wasn't even in the race. We're going to start off with pretty much as the weekend started, more paddock rumours. So the current table musical chair situation is jack miller is going to red bull ktm Enea bastianini is getting promoted but we don't know how far up the ducati ladder yet miguel Oliveira, who's going to be replaced by jack miller is going to take bastianini's seat uh jesus possibly both of the tech three ktm boys are out of the job paul espargaro might be coming back to ktm as a satellite rider also, Miguel might be having a nibble at Alex Marquez's seat. Alex Marquez might be out of a job. It looks like Taka Nakagami's out of a job. And potentially, Darren Binder might be after earning his way onto a second seat at Aprilia. And Mir looks pretty nil on to sign alongside Marquez. So, pretty crazy. Suzuki pulling out. Two Yamahas going missing. Two more Aprilias. It's been a crazy few weeks. What have you made of these rumours and which ones are your favourite? I think there's some uh, really, really spicy ones in there because kind of going into this weekend, we knew Miller factory KTM. That's done deal. They didn't hide that very well in Mugello that that's basically what's happening. And then coming into this weekend, we've had this uh, Pold Tech 3 rumour, which uh, kind of makes sense because by the sounds of it, I mean, it, look at the performance really. Fernandez and Gardner are not having a good time. Fernandez didn't want to ride the KTM in the first place. Gardner's not having a good time. His management, I think, have been dissing KTM management as well, which, if you want to keep your MotoGP ride, is not the best thing to do. But I, I, guess he, I guess he just wants out of there, you know, no matter what. I mean, he's in pain. They, they keep crashing. The KTM is just not a great bike either. It, it seems to be very, very weird. But some of those uh, rumours are a little bit interesting. So, like I said, the Pole to Tech 3 one, that's new for this weekend. There's also Pole to LCR, potentially. There's just kind of musical chairs with the Hondas because... We know really that Paul is on his way out of Repsol Honda because it seems like Mir is pretty much on for that seat. So Paul can either be demoted to you know the, the other Honda seat, uh, the, the LCR, or he can return to KTM, which I think could be quite good for him because he he did you know he did a good job there. Obviously, Tech Three apparently has been offered to Oliveira as well. He made his thoughts on that very clear, as he as he should really. I mean, you're not going to take that demotion lightly, especially when. He's not doing a terrible job. He's had a bit of a tough season, but today, for example, he was right behind Brad Binder. Brad Binder is the KTM Golden Child, as we know, so finishing right behind him. That's what really they're employing him to do. 
But I guess at the end of the day, you know, he has made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of bad weekends. So he obviously didn't want that. And then obviously Oliveira has been linked to LCR, like you say. But it looks like he's going to Grassini now because there was actually pictures of him and his manager, which is his dad, um, actually in the Grassini hospitality and with some Ducati personnel. So it looks like that's probably cottoned on. And that is that is the spiciest of the transfers as far as I'm concerned, because we know the Grassini team is good. We've seen them win and put the bike on pole several times. So, you know, that's obviously good. Oliveira, one of the better riders on the grid, in my opinion. I think he's a fantastic rider. So to see him on a Ducati, that is, uh, that is spicy. I, I really hope that one is the case. It seems like it is, So because I'm looking forward to seeing that next year. Spicy indeed. And just before we move on from the rumours, Ducati factory seat still is a question mark. Miller leaving doesn't mean they have to confirm anyone. From the deep, deep, dark web rumours, it's likely that they want Jorge Martin. They favour Martin for long-term success more than they do Bastianini. So, this weekend, Martin doing well. Podium, P2, Bastianini, Gravel again. Uh, it could be that they're just trying to wait out Bastianini, hoping for a dip. Give a couple of rounds to... Orga Martin, who's going for surgery tomorrow, the day directly after the race, he's going to miss. There's a test tomorrow in Catalonia, but he won't be there. He's going for surgery on his wrist, I believe. And moving forward, I think they might be trying to wait him out to see can they get him in there instead of Bastianini, which is a bit of a weird one, considering Bastianini's been so quick. He is Italian, and Orga Martin is Spanish, but looks like Ducati want the next big thing from Spain and it looks like that's what they're trying to hold out for because you would imagine they would have already signed Bastianini and announced it if Jack was they confirmed Chiabatti confirmed in an interview with the Dazan the Spanish media that it's 99% sure Jack will not continue with us in 2023 so someone's going to take that seat it's down to the two of them I'd be surprised if it wasn't Harry Martin to be brutally honest but we're going to move on now to the actual race weekend we're going to get to the race and there was drama like 2006 all over again. We hadn't even made it to turn one. Riders on the ground, a bit of a scary crash. What did you make of Takenakagami and the onslaught he created? Well, firstly, thankfully, he seems to be relatively okay. I mean, I'm sure he's exactly. not absolutely fine, but uh, it has been reported that he hasn't got any like head injuries or anything like that. He's mainly got like pain in his collarbone and... Where else was it? His shoulder as well that he had? Shoulder, collarbone, yeah. and a bit of a neck injury, I think. Yeah, which makes sense because if you haven't seen the crash, it's quite nasty. So if you don't like that kind of thing, I, w I wouldn't recommend looking it up. But of course, the rider is okay. So if you did want to see what happened, and Mo MotoGP have posted it on their YouTube channel. So if you haven't seen the crash, then you can have a look there. But his bike, uh, his head, sorry, absolutely rams into the back of Banyai's bike, ripped his visor clean off. And obviously the, the parts that hold the visor in on the Arai came off as well. So yeah, good job Arai has done its job there. Obviously one of the, the very, very trusted helmet manufacturers in the paddock. But yeah, it was just a, one of those incidents where it was a bit careless, really. I mean, it's easy done. It's turn one, you know. It's easy to lock the front or to break a bit late and make a bit of a mistake. But he kind of... I mean, he doesn't take people out a lot, to be honest. He doesn't have a reputation for that. I will give him that. But he has a reputation of losing the front a lot and uh, crashing under pressure and making mistakes. So he's got a bit of a, a bit of form for doing this. Obviously, he already had the incident last weekend. Uh, I don't know if we touched on it on the podcast, the incident with Rins. I don't know if the footage was actually available when we did it. But uh, yeah, it was a weird incident there. And I mean, that that wasn't his fault. I, that was 100% not his fault. This time, though, yeah, he locked the front, skittled out a championship contender, which doesn't change it. That shouldn't change it, you know, either way. Any right, all the riders are equally important when you know when it comes to giving out penalties and things like that. But he's taken out a championship contender, taken out Rins, given Rins a, a, a pretty bad injury as well, uh, sort of broke his wrist. So Rins is going to be out of the test, which is obviously going to affect the rest of his season. So yeah, a bit of a careless move by Nakagami. It's lap one, you know, you got to you got to take it a bit carefully. I think he got a bit of a stoppy, and they've grabbed him more break obviously to, to try and not hit the back of Banyai and lock the front. He probably would have been better trying to thread the needle and sitting up, but that's easy for me to say. Sat on the settee, isn't it? Uh, if Taka's on board the bike, going 200 you know mile an hour around the circuit, so you know it's yeah, just uh, just it's a shame. I mean, I think at this point, the last few races he's been a bit more aggressive than normal. I think he probably maybe has been told by the scenes that he's lost his job and he's just trying to prove himself. 
just to try and get a ride somewhere else and sadly this is not this is not the way to do it yeah there there is lots of angles of it and one angle in particular is a drone footage and you just see him coming into turn one he just moves across his honda teammate and the repsol honda teammate of paulo spagaro just see the bike step out slightly he gets a bit of a stop he has to release the brake to get the bike back down and that's when the closing speed between him and the ducati in front starts to close down grabs a handful like you said very easily done thankfully he, he seems to be relatively okay it is a pretty scary crash obviously you have the back wheel of peco rotating forward so as soon as he touches it he gets dragged into the back in the cowling area of the bike could have been scary thankfully he looks like he got away with it unfortunately rins has a broken wrist and we'll miss the test tomorrow. Not sure that Suzuki would have much to be testing anyway, but nonetheless, Suzuki are a bit lost at the moment. But we're going to move on now to pretty much the alien of the class. Probably, in my opinion, right now, the best rider on the planet, bar none, Fabio Masterclass. What did you make of Quattararo in Barcelona? The man manages to impress me every single time. I don't know how he does it, and now I expected a better race from here than I expected going into Mugello, so I should have really saw him winning, really, because, you know, I expected maybe 10th place in Mugello, and he came second, in, and almost won the race, really, he was, very, he was pushing Bagnaia quite hard, but this race, amazing, I mean, Aleish was top all weekend, top in all the sessions, Fabio was really nowhere until qualifying. Now, I think maybe he's just trying different things in the free practices now. I think he's so comfortable with the bike that if he sticks his base setting in, he knows he'll automatically go pretty quickly. So he's probably just trying to find something new, just see if he can maybe get a bit more top, top speed. As we've seen over the years, top speed is not so important for a one-lap event, especially at Catalonia, where there's so many high-speed corners. So he put himself on the front row exactly where he needed to be. Fantastic start from him. I don't know how he gets that Yamaha off the line so well, because it just has so much... Well, actually, I don't think it is the acceleration necessarily that is uh, where it lacks. I think it actually punches fairly well initially. So off the line, their ride height device actually seems quite good as well. To be fair, the Yamaha, and uh, he got a he got a good launch. Managed to you know get past Banyaya immediately. Obviously, get a slipstream on uh, on a lace, pass a lace straight to the first corner. Then of course there was a crash behind, which probably took out one of his biggest threats to the race win. Of course, like we said, uh, like I said, a lace was the quickest all weekend, but Banyaya. Again, he was up there. You can always count on Banyar on a Sunday. I mean, he does sometimes make mistakes. You know, he may not have finished the race on his own accord. He may well have crashed trying to beat Fabio. But the challenger was immediately taken out by, obviously, uh, Nakagami uh, taking out him and Rins. So Fabio, once he got to the front, he checked out immediately. He went for it. It was it was amazing. He was, what, about two seconds in front by, like, the first few laps. It was, and then he was three, and then four, and then five. And then I think he was, about like, six seconds in front at the end. So, yeah, he... That's how you would on the Yamaha, really. You can't pass because you're so far down on power. It shows that the bike is good, especially if you can ride it like Fabio can, but it's just not got the top end, and that just ruins you. So you have to qualify well. Fabio has the ability to do that. He also has the ability to clock off the laps, lap and lap and lap, immediately looks so, so fast, and does not make mistakes. So yeah, yeah, like you said, alien. Best rider on the grid by far now. I think the only rider that's anywhere near his level is Marquez. And obviously Marquez is not there. So, yeah, Fabio cleaning up. Fantastic. Because it, it didn't look like he was going to heading into uh, heading into the race. Yeah, and unfortunately we're probably not going to see Marquez for the rest of the season. Which is a shame because we're probably being robbed of some serious battles. Serious lap times with Marquez being away. But hopefully we wish him well. He had surgery actually. We should mention that oh, yeah, uh, during the week. It went well, but to be fair, after every surgery so far he's had, it always has gone well, but it's what comes in the days afterwards. But let's, again, touch more wood. We're touching more wood than we've ever done before in this podcast. Just hopefully he has a safe recovery, gets back to some full felt and gets a bit of training on his belt. And we should see him back on the good, hopefully, in 23, alongside a younger Spanish teammate, a bit of a Rossi Lorenzo. One coming in to replace the other. We might have a nice little... A wall down the garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wall down the garage between the riders. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? But moving on. Actually, just sorry. Forgot to completely mention Fabio signed two years with Yamaha. Oh, yeah. And there is a, a massive bit of news as well that has not been reported anywhere. I have to shout out Simon Patterson of the race for this one. Yamaha have always built everything in-house. Their engineers build everything. They do not believe in getting outside help until now. Maybe it's Fabio's forced their hand in this. 
But they have signed. No, we don't have the gentleman contract. I, I think it is something in the in the contract. Where they got to give him more power, so it might be forced by Fabio. Yeah, there you go. It's definitely something to do with Fabio, but they're signing an ex-Toyota, ex-Aprilia, so Formula 1 GP, someone who is pretty renowned with getting more horsepower out of an engine that is struggling, which would be scary if a Yamaha is quicker in a straight line than what we have now, because he's already pretty much best into the corner, best out of the corner, best through the corner. It's just the last 100 yards of every straight he gets eaten. That could be big going forward. Now, whether... It's just to keep them happy and they don't use it. Like test riders, they want like Rossi and Lorenz, or Rossi and Vinales wanted test riders in a European test team. They got it. It was never used. It was just something they did in the background, but they never actually used it. Bradley Smith was there, Lorenzo, Cal. You rarely hear them testing. So whether this is just another thing goes, we'll give you that, but we're not going to actually do anything with it. I don't know. But hopefully for... Fabio's sake, they do actually put it to good use because this gentleman in question here has some serious knowledge. And it would be pretty interesting to see what they could do with a bit more horsepower. The dynamic in that bike would be pretty crazy. But moving on now, on to something we've already touched briefly on this podcast. Ine Bastianini cracks starting to form race in his season. It seems that way. It really does. It's two races in a row now he's fallen off. He also fell off in Portimao, so that's three races out of nine, so that's a third of the races he's not finished. So it's not great. I mean, you could probably argue that at this point, right, he's, here, he's probably hitting the limit of the bike. We're like halfway through the season now, which is quite scary. We've got through mm. that pretty quick, although I suppose it's getting through the year as well. I don't even want to talk about that. But either way, <laughs> it's uh, it seems like the, the factory bikes are the bikes to be on now, you know. Except Miller, actually. That's worth noting. Miller, the last two weekends, has really been struggling, and I would be I wouldn't be surprised if it's something to do with the fact he's on his way out of that team to be honest but uh, that is uh, something I just thought of right there but either way the GP22 seems better now you had both Zarco and Martin at the front you would have had Banyar if he got hadn't got taken out he, he was obviously at the front of the race so you know you expect him to be up there so I think it is at this point now where that bike is starting to slip back you're not going to get any more out of it he's probably already got the base setting dialed you know he's not going to find any more with that bike now and I think his poor qualifying has kind of returned as well because of that. And I think that's what matters so much. Like, a lot of these bikes are good race bikes, but if you don't qualify well, you get absolutely ruined. So, yeah, he just he made another mistake trying to come through the pack. Two races in a row, three in total, if I'm not mistaken, which, you know, is about a third of the season. So, yeah, it does seem like he's, he's starting to crack a little bit now, maybe under the pressure, maybe trying to make the most out of a bike that's not quite there anymore. I think he's. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's probably out of the title hunt now. I don't think he's going to take it any further than this. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's probably a step too far. It's it's always been that a rider satellite team is always always going to struggle to win the title. I think Fabio in twenty twenty had the best chance of doing it just because it was such a weird season. But unfortunately, Yamaha just kind of went the wrong way with the bike that year. Still stands this rider, only rider in history is Valentino to win in a satellite team. Yes, he had a factory bike, but in modern day MotoGP, everyone has a factory bike in an early satellite team. You were such a factory Luke. crew. <laughs> oh yeah, he's pretty much a factory team. It was just team Mick team. bike painted in Astro's Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> he really was. But, but technically, the stat does still exist. <laughs> he's retired now, we can pretty much say as much as we want. We can big him up as much as we yeah, want. Rossi was a god, yeah. no one could get near Rossi. Yeah, yeah exactly. Three no seconds quicker you... than everybody. Yeah. <laughs> But just to move on to the other Rossi, the Marini side of the garage. Correct me if I'm wrong, he's on a GP22 as well, I believe? Yes, he is. So, again, going back to the Hareth test, he said he found something was breaking. He's been there two weekends in a yeah, row. Yeah, he was a lot better again. Wasn't so, it looks like maybe he's found something with the balance of the bike, like he's like we mentioned, the braking. So, again, just a small thing. We're not going to go into depth on Luca Marini, but it's good to see him showing some good pace in his second season. On to another Ducati, some we're going to focus a bit more on. Jorge Martin, is he back to his best? And has he just signed a contract with a factory Ducati team, do you believe? I'm not so sure that he's signed the contract yet. I think it's been very difficult because of Bastianini and Martin's performances. Like, I think, you know, if you look at last year, it was nailed on. They were probably getting ready. They were in negotiations. But then Martin, you know, he, he's been crashing. He's been struggling. I don't even know how many races he's crashed out of. It's more than three. So he's doing worse than Bastianini on that front. But he has been competitive at some of them. Like, for example, he was pretty competitive in Argentina. Obviously, he was second place there. But that's basically the only time he's been anywhere all season except this weekend. So he struggled a lot there. 
And I think that has been what's made this decision for the contract so difficult. I think he was virtually nailed on, so they probably told him that they were cons- he was basically had the seat. Nalos and Bastianini's out of there, and they're like, oh, should we get Bastianini? Because, you know, he's Italian. But obviously, you know, Martin, I'm sure there's really good reasons to have a Spaniard in the team, you know, especially commercially. So it's one of those things, and obviously, you know, maybe if you look at Martin, perhaps you'd say he has the bigger potential. So, I don't know, it's hard to say. But he's back to his best, it seems. Apparently, it was a thing to do with the forks. Which seems like a very interesting uh, thing. Apparently, they, they changed the forks to the same sort of setting Pekka was using. To try and up their pace to Pekka's pace. And he's been struggling, and that's why he's been struggling. It doesn't suit his style. He's been crashing and not been too, doing too well. And now he seems to reverted back, and he's back on form immediately. So... That is, you know, something potentially that could have happened there, potentially in this Hareth test. He's tested that, and that's what's given him back uh, the pace. And I think it does seem like he's back to his best now. So it's nice to see, because I quite like Jorge Martin, and it's not been nice to see him crashing his brains out and being nowhere. So, yeah, it's, it's good. I think he definitely is back now as well. He's got the surgery tomorrow, so hopefully that goes well for him, and hopefully he's back on the bike uh, pretty quick, and he's uh, still, still got his pace behind him. Yeah, thankfully we do have two weeks between Barcelona and Saxon, so he should have just enough time to kind of get over the surgery and get some mileage back on the wrist before we head to Germany. But we're going to have to come to the part of the podcast that we're dreading. The last bit before we go on to the race direction, which is going to be a bit of a funny bit. Elaise Espigaro, my goodness. If anyone hasn't seen it, he rolled off a lap early and gave away a podium at his home race. I feel so bad for him. He, when he did realise it, he was passed by three Ducatis. Now, a lot of people have slated him and said a lot of things about him. In the heat of the moment, 65 degrees track temperature. It's probably an ambient 35 degrees. You've just done a 38, 39 minute race at absolute race lap record. Your home race, you are being built up all weekend to win. He crossed the line to start the last lap. He started waving, rolled off. Realised after he got passed by two Ducatis and then a third one and jumped back onto the back of Luca Mini. Passed him, came home. But what a disaster that was. Yeah, it's just... It's one of the things... I feel so bad for him, but it was quite funny. It was... It's just one of those things like, you know, he just starts waving to the crowd and it's like, no, mate, you got to keep going. It's kind of funny, but I feel so, so sorry for him because I really like Aleish. I love the whole underdog Aprilia story, to be honest. His home race as well. It rode so well because obviously Fabio had completely disappeared. Martin passed him a couple of times. He managed to get back in front. It looked like at one point he was really struggling with the tyres and he was going to go backwards. He was struggling to hit an apex. And to be honest, in the past, he probably would have crashed in that situation. But this new Alessio Spagaro, he's he's on the pace. He doesn't make mistakes, except obviously this one here. But uh, he rode so well. He thought he'd just finished second place. And apparently what he said was his pit board is so close to the last corner because Aprilia had the first pit boxes this weekend. So he was he looked at the gap, saw it was about 0.5 to Martin, and didn't catch the, the lap counter. So he just kind of... So he had to look at the timing tower. So the, the big tower at the, the exit of pit lane, and it had L1. And he thought that meant, oh, that was the last lap. It had, it had finished. Like, that was it. But at Catalonia... The, uh, the timing tower says L0, so that means there's zero laps after this one when you start the final lap. So he thought that it was that it was done. He thought the race was done. Obviously, he read the read the board, like read the tower wrong, and he started celebrating. It's just, uh, I feel so, so sorry for him. Obviously, it said L0 on the tower because obviously they're starting the final lap, and he thought L0 means zero. That's it. He's done, and just, uh, such a shame for him. But at least he could take the solace that he... He was quick. You know, he managed to get second place at his home race. Obviously, that's not going to mean anything to him, the fact that he could have got second place. But at the same time, he's very fortunate that it was a bit more of a spread out race because, of course, he got passed by both the Pramax. Then Mir went past him, and that's when he looked behind him. He's like, oh, are they still going? That's when Marini got in front. I think if I calculated it correctly, I think he's only lost nine points from that. So we'll have to set that to account at the end. But if he loses the title by less than nine points, he will be absolutely kicking himself. Uh, Just... Yeah, just, oh, poor Aleish, bless him. I have a big fear that this could be the start of the end of the season. No, it might seem very... <laughs> um, a bit dramatic. <laughs> a bit dra- yeah, exactly, but 
he came in he well he when he actually finished the race he stopped to turn one and just head on the tank cried his eyes out rode round into the box into the corner turned his chair around and literally ba- pushed himself into a corner and you could literally could vividly hear him bawling his eyes out the poor boy and I think if that's going to go on that's and there's about two weeks off before he got to Saxon ring hold him after a home race that's not going to sit well with him it might make him push more at Saxon ring he might crash again then that turns into oh he lost nine points oh he's zero points Fabio's P2 that's 29 points he's lost in two races and then he's just out of touch and out of sync with the front two so I hope he bounces back from it I fear that he might crumble now after that he was on such a good form no mistakes except this small one it's, it's one of those kind of silly mistakes that it can happen again like I said the heat long race last corner it's fast your pit boards it's tiny you're doing 180 miles an hour lots of reasons people have been way too harsh on the poor boy but um oh i was i was so gutted because when it first crossed the line he was kind of hand, hands on his head because he kind of had lost a race win but from my, my first initial thoughts is that he's after breaking down and he was rolling down the pits and he just had a wave at the fans and i thought he was like geez he seems very okay with after breaking down he probably just kind of is like over it and he he kind of like realizes nothing he can do now is no point being sad and that's why he was waving at people but then the Aprilia pit box they cut to them they were shouting um <laughs> they were fuming unfortunately running around like heads of chickens i'm not really sure how he didn't notice it when jorge martin came past him bangs the back four gears backs it in at ray pace and then zarko does it the fact that three riders fair enough if one go past and you go geez he's still moving at a serious rate there is this race still on You'd still kind of push maybe for a sector just to see what happened. But again, maybe just the whole emotion, the concentration was let out. I'm not a MotoGP rider, unfortunately, so I can't tell exactly what what was going through his head. But geez, we're going to move on now because I can't bear talking anymore about it because he was was so emotional. He's an emotional guy, wears his heart in his sleeve. And um, ah, it was a tough watch. You have to feel for him. But we're going to move on now to... We're going to move on and move back to Turn 1. Taki Nakagami taking out Rins and Bagnair. Rin's furious race direction. Reese has a few quotes there. Why don't you take away and say what Reese or what Rin's was saying about race direction and what he, he thinks about the current crew? He wasn't happy, to say the least. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to directly quote him because I can't remember exactly <laughs> what he said, but I vaguely remember that he basically said that they should stay at home. Uh, basically, he, he was just not very happy and, you know, rightfully so, to be honest. He's been taken out. Um, at the time, he didn't know he'd broken his wrist, but he said his wrist was really hurting him. He didn't have much movement. He said, after these interviews, I'm going to the hospital to get it x-rayed. Obviously, turns out to be broken. He's been taken out in an accident that's not his fault, that's obviously hurt him as well. So he's going to be angry because of that. But you know what? Nakagami should have a penalty for that. I know I know. at the time, it does seem harsh because obviously the guy was looks fairly hurt. I mean, he smacked his head, so you don't exactly want to be you know kicking a man while he's down, but... He's caused a crash, took two riders out. That's a long lap penalty at least. You know, a double long lap, a back of the grid, a pit lane start. I mean, we've seen, you know, similar incidents been penalised in the past. I think one that stands out to me, Sam Lowe's 2020 Austria. You know, got a false neutral, wiped out Chandra and was it Navarro as well? I can't remember the other rider, but pit lane start. Who else did that? Somebody at Ch- well, Chandra, the other way around. Chandra took Lowe's out, long lap penalty. You know, these are the things that happen, and it's a mistake, fair enough, uh, but he just needs to be punished for it, because it was one of those things, it was lap one, of course, you got to have a bit of discretion, but he has just lost the front of taking two people with him. So, you know, fair enough, Rins is angry, but Rins was mad. He basically was saying that the race direction, they just need all new people, basically get rid of all of them, and, you know, they never really, their decisions just don't make any sense, you know, it just, it was very very unhappy and there's been this unease for a few years now from like the riders you could tell but this is and and you know what they've said stuff before that there's been things behind the scenes where apparently like max biaggi went up to the the race direction to find out why sasaki well to find out why sasaki got a penalty they accepted that and then we're like how do we avoid this penalty in the future you know how what do we do differently apparently um freddie just walked out of the room so you know that's not helpful so Spencer, the, the you know the guy in charge, I mean, obviously huge respect for him, and I think all the riders have a huge respect for his talent. And but he just rubs all the riders up the wrong way. He's 
just doesn't handle things well. And you could tell that it's been building up for a while, but Rins, this is the first time really he's come out like they all need to be sacked, basically. He was he was not happy. Rins was absolutely furious. Uh, Banyaya also was pretty unhappy. A little bit less uh, severe with his comments, just kind of saying that, you know, that Nakagami needed a penalty. But Rins, you could kind of see why, because if you, especially if you're in pain, that makes you even more angry. So he's sitting there with a throbbing wrist, be like being told that the guy that's caused this injury, ruined his race, has not been penalised. He's already frustrated by all the penalties. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, he, uh, I, I don't know if you'll be able to find it online anywhere. It was uh, an interview with, I think it was the interview with BT where he said it. So if you can find that online, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was not pleased. The, the one quote that stands out for me from that uh, transcript was that he said, and I quote, the current race direction are not MotoGP level, which is pretty yeah, down oh, yeah, that was really... Which, uh, basically, in other words, they are amateurs. So, <laughs> we end off this podcast. How we usually start them, which is giving out about Freddie Spencer and his group of minions. Up in their little box, making questionable decisions. And again, going back to Nakagami not getting a penalty. Sasaki got a penalty. Not Sasaki. Suzuki got a penalty in Magello for small bit of contact with Anchu. Uh, he got a penalty during the race. Again, I understand the concept of the guy is down, he's hurt, he's had a bad crash. But does that mean if I take someone out tomorrow, can I just lie there, pretend I'm unconscious and get away with a penalty? Is that what we're going to see now? That if Jack Miller takes out Mir and just lies there, motionless on the ground for 90 seconds, can he escape a penalty? No, I'm not saying that uh, Nakayami's putting it on. He clearly was injured, but regardless of the injury to riders the mistake was made it needs to be penalized so we're going to end it today with of course the take on a poor poor weekend again from race direction two weeks time we go to dresden in germany for the saxon ring race we've no markers how do you feel the grid will feel now that they don't have the king there for saxon ring do you feel like someone will have their head screwed on more than others it will be interesting, because it's difficult to draw a pattern from Saxon Ring, because it's such a weird circuit. But one thing I do remember, last year, who led the race right at the start? Alicia Spargaro. Who is going to be desperate to get a good result after this uh, embarrassment this weekend? Alicia Spargaro. What bike is working really well? The Aprilia. So I actually think that Alicia could win this one. I genuinely yeah. do. Uh, other rider that was really good last year was Oliveira. He was also very good at this circuit, though, and... I mean, he actually wasn't too bad this weekend, to be fair. He was right up there with Brad, like I said, and that's pretty much... I think that's the limit of the bike. I think... I mean, those two are fantastic riders, Oliveira and Binder. Um, Oliveira actually isn't a world champion, but, you know, he definitely has the talent to be one. Brad Binder, of course, is a world champion. So those guys, you know, they're, they're fantastic riders. They've always been very evenly matched when they've been teammates throughout the categories, and obviously that's been shown again here. So I don't think the KTM is going to be troubling the scorers. I don't think he will be... Uh, Fighting for the win there, Oliveira. So, who else? I mean, the Yamaha, historically, has not been too bad there. Remember Folger a few years ago, obviously had a really good race. And then the year after, Rossi used Folger's data and video of his lines and things like that to also pull out a good result. So, Yamaha's not too bad there. I think Fabio didn't do... I think Fabio was... I can't remember where he finished. I think he might have been on the podium. So, you know, not a terrible for, result for him. The Ducatis tend to struggle there, so... I think it's going to probably be an Aleish Quattararo shootout, if you ask me. I, I can't see anybody else particularly being up there. If Maybe if Nakagami's not injured, he might be able to do something, because he does have a little bit of that Marquez about him. Sometimes when he rides the uh, the Honda, he does try and sort of mimic Marquez's riders a little bit. So maybe he could try and do something. But yeah, I think it's going to be between Aleish and Fabio this uh, this weekend. Well, next next race. Yeah, I, uh, the, only, the only thing last year that probably held back a late was they started spitting raining and the light rain affected everyone. They also had a slowdown, Marcus sped up <laughs> and that's where he won that race in uh, just absolute bravery and bigger balls than everyone else. I would put Rins in a corner speed, edge of the tyre kind of track, but if he has a broken wrist, that just puts him at 90% for me and I think... You need it to be 150% to be beating Fabio Quartararo and to be beating Aleish. So I can't really look past the two of them. I don't think Mir is going to do much for the rest of the season. Um, 
he just uh, whatever way the bike development has gone whatever way the setup is he just can't get it stopped which is his biggest strength but now it's probably one of his weaknesses so it'll be an interesting one it could be a very follow the leader kind of race because the tire temps in the front tire goes up they have the aero it could be an interesting one but it is germany you can always get a bit of rain in germany if you go back many years back i think uh 2014 was a wet race uh 2016 was a wet race so we've had plenty of wet races over the years obviously we had the dampness last year so you never know it could be fabio di Gentona. he's gonna be my wild card if we get a bit of rain because he seems to be on a great upward spiral at the moment but we're going to end it off there just hitting the hour mark for today's podcast just want to thank you all for tuning in if you did enjoy drop us a like if you are listening on youtube also if you could give us a five star rating on spotify it just helps to boost the podcast just want to thank you all for myself and Reese. Thanks for listening. See you in the next one.